You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and if you are someone who finds difficult conversations, well, difficult, then do I have a treat for you. Mark Rosenberg knows that a lot of us, most of us perhaps, put off having hard conversations. We all know the consequences of that. Problems aren't nipped in the bud and they flower into ugly wounds. The good news, that's all about to change for you. Mark has a rock-solid process that will help you plan and conduct those hard conversations with skill and confidence and he's here to tell us all about it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mark Rosenberg. Mark Rosenberg, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. David, thanks very much for having me on board. Absolute pleasure, Mark. What a topic you've got. You've got one of those really beautiful niche issues that almost everyone has. There's probably not many people you come across that say they don't need to be better at hard conversations. No, I think we all have them on a pretty much a daily basis. There's a spectrum as to how hard they are, but I think uh, the challenge of dealing with other human beings means that we will constantly have to have hard conversations. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing for you and your business. Look, we're going to use all of the experience and wisdom and knowledge you've gathered over a career of having difficult conversations yourself as a lawyer and and for a long time now, 13 years, I think, helping to train, coach and mentor people in having hard conversations. We're going to squeeze all, all of that wisdom out of you. The, the best of it is, from what I've read in your book, is the, the framework that you offer and those core skills. So we'll get to those really soon. But let's break down the problem a little bit before we get to the, the good stuff. Yeah. Mark, let's define it first. What do you mean by hard conversations? If you're in the business of helping people be better mm. at doing it, what's in the in the bowl? What's in the collection of things that people are trying to talk to others about that they, they find difficult? Yeah. I start with the definition that, that a hard conversation is pretty much anything that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes we'll tend to avoid them. So, you know, they're sometimes referred to as difficult conversations uncomfortable conversations. But I think there's a spectrum of them. And I think at one end of the spectrum, you know, you have these sort of mildly difficult conversations where you've got, you have to tell someone that their zipper's undone, a bit uncomfortable, a bit awkward, but you can do that. And at the other end of the spectrum, where you're in conversations where you're going to have to tell somebody that you're going to be making them redundant. I think there's a sort of, and then in between, there's lots of, you know, often people will talk about performance conversations that they find a bit challenging with people. Often, other conversations are behavioural conversations where people's behaviour is not consistent with the organisation's values and, and so on. So they're the sort of, I think there's a, a real gamut of different types of hard conversations. So why are they difficult for us? Why do people avoid them? Well, maybe, maybe you could tell me from what you understand that the extent to which we as human beings avoid these conversations and, and then tell me why is it that we avoid them? Sure, they're a little bit uncomfortable, but our rational brain is telling us that it's our role, whether the manager or the boss or the friend or the or the partner. It's our role to do this. The, the, the person I'm thinking about will benefit from it. Our relationship or the output at work will benefit from it, but I'm still having trouble convincing myself to step up and do it. Why? Yeah. 
And I ask this question when I do sort of workshops or or if I'm working with clients one-on-one, and these sort of responses you get tend to be pivoting around most people don't like high levels of emotion, and often these conversations are risky in terms of they're not sure about how the other person's going to react, and they're very uncomfortable with that high level of emotion. They will often say that they don't feel like they have the skill set or capability to have the conversation, so they're usually really good at lots of things but they haven't invested the time and the skills development to get good at hard conversations. So they they find them uncomfortable. And the other thing I'd say is people don't want to damage relationships. So most people want to protect the relationship. And so they will avoid going in to do something that might hurt the feelings of another person. That's probably the other things. And of course, then there's there's the things where they, they just are concerned about the power equilibrium or the lack of equality and power and damaging careers and so on. So um, a difficult conversation is, or or a hard conversation is anything that feels risky, that has a high level of emotion to it. We we like to avoid those. We also avoid that because we don't feel as though we've got the right skill set. So we're going to help you with that tonight. Well, actually, more to the point, Mark's going to help you. And now here's a question without notice, Mark. Something that I was wondering as I read your book, I have this belief that our world is getting sort of more emotionally intelligent and we're becoming softer. I view the past, even my own childhood, primary school in the 80s, my past is as it was a harder world, a more blunt world. People were much, you know, parents were naggier. Teachers at school were harsher. Workplace bosses were harsher. And we sort of have evolved over time into a much softer, gentler society. Does this play into it? Is there a historical movement that means we're having more difficulty having these conversations because it kind of jars with the environment we're setting ourselves up for globally? Mm, It's interesting analysis. I think I would absolutely agree with you that we are becoming more of a values-driven society. And so organizations that historically would tolerate really poor behavior will no longer do that. But I think that the challenge is, and I think this is going to the core of your question, is collaboration doesn't mean you don't have hard conversations. And and often it's misconstrued. So organizations, I did some work at AMP a few years ago. This is before the financial sort of crisis blew up and they found themselves in a lot of trouble. But one of the concerns of the HR group at AMP at the time was that everybody was focusing on being collaborative and so nobody was having the hard conversations. Now, you sort of look back historically and you think, well, wouldn't it have been a good thing for people to have a few of those hard conversations at AMP, mm. you know, back then? And you, you, you've touched on my next question about the consequences of this. And this is the last question before we get to the framework to helping listeners be better at this. What do we do instead? If we know there's a hard conversation that should be had and we're, we're avoiding it because it feels risky, it feels like it could come with emotion feels like it could do some damage to a relationship, just be uncomfortable, all of those things. What do we do instead of having the hard conversation and what are the consequences of that? I think most of us avoid them or, you know, from time to time we all avoid them. And sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing. If if the conversation is not going to take us anywhere, you know, avoiding a conversation may make sense. But I think most of the time if we recognise that there are adverse consequences to the team or to the organisation, and we don't have them, uh, it doesn't play out well. And and I think it doesn't play out well for individuals too, particularly if you're in a management or a leadership position. The organisations expect people to have those hard conversations and they expect them to do them well. So I think if you don't do them, then there's some career risk 
straight away. And if you do do them well, I think you you sort of really climb up the ladder pretty quickly and you get a lot of respect and, and a strong reputation. The second thing I'd say is if you don't do them, you often will damage the team. If you're part of a team, whether you're not having them in the team or you're the leader of the team, you will find that it starts to undermine the functionality of the team. And you know, you're a team's expert, so you'd know this this really well. The third thing is it becomes quite expensive. You know, it, it can actually cost an organization a lot of money when people avoid them. And a, a friend of mine, a guy called Dan Dana, had developed a financial model where he was calculating the cost of conflict in organizations. And when the CFOs got a look at some of the numbers that were coming back because of poorly managed conflict in organizations, they were pretty big numbers. And, you know, Dana maintains that it's the easiest way to reduce costs in an organization. I'm not sure that's right or not, but certainly it was an interesting perspective to have. And then I think just the last thing I'd say in terms of the question is when you don't have them, people suffer. They tend to create a lot of stress and discomfort within teams, within organizations. And, you know, in a time where we're all wanting to focus on health and well-being and resilience, sort of part of that, I think, is getting better at and helping people become better at having hard conversations. One of the things you touched on there was the impact it can have on a team. And we've all seen that so many times. We've felt the frustration of someone in a team who is not performing or their behavior doesn't align with the values of the organization of the team. Yep. And our leader won't call them out on it. Yeah. And that leader is not calling them out on it because it feels risky and they don't want to get involved and it's a difficult thing to do. Yep. But they're letting down the rest of the team who's witnessing this below par performance or these behaviors that don't align with our values. And they're seeing the leader not step up. And that can create all kinds of awful background noise and a, a lack of respect. And it can really pull teams apart over time. We've all seen that pressure is real and it can be like a water running down a mountain, you know, over time, the strength of that will really shift the landscape. So that's one reason not to avoid it. Hey, you touched on something there right at the beginning where you suggested that it was okay in some circumstances to avoid it because mm. the cost is going to be worth more than anything that you would get out of it. When is it okay to let ourselves off the hook and convince ourselves that it's not worth going into this murky swamp? I would say- there are going to be situations, and, and I'd preface this by saying, if you're doing it as a strategic or tactical manoeuvre, it can make sense. So if particular time and place is such that you're dealing with somebody who has way more power and it might be a career-limiting move, then it's probably not a big deal to avoid the conversation. It's a problem, though, if that becomes your default pattern of behaviour, mm -hmm. then it can really undermine your, your effectiveness as a, as a leader. But sometimes the other circumstance I think where it's probably okay to avoid them is if, if you're dealing with someone, and in the book I have this chapter on dealing with, I call them, well, actually they're Robert Sutton, the Stanford professor calls them certifiable assholes. Mm. And effectively they're really people who lack empathy. They may be sociopaths, they may be psychopaths, they may be borderline in terms of, but what's common about them is they lack empathy and you're not going to engage with them in an effective way relying on their ability to listen to what you have to say. And so in those circumstances, I think it's actually reasonable to be able to identify who are those people and you might have to play a different game than simply using the framework and the, and the skills that we're talking about today. You reminded me of, of people you referenced in your book. At the very beginning of your book, you, re you referenced the work of Michael Curtin and you said that it was a bit of an epiphany moment for you and it, it was for me as well. 
Because Michael says that when we work with each other, two problems come into play, problem A and problem B. Problem A is our task or challenge, the thing that we're employed to do. The reason that we're a team, it could be something like put a man on the moon. And problem B is how we manage each other, how we engage with each other as a team. And ideally, of course, we'd spend most of our time on problem A. However, and a lot of people listening to this might have just sniggered to themselves, we know we spend an inordinate amount of time on problem B, the how do we manage each other bit. So that highlights to me, and and I was the same as you, Mark, it was an epiphany because it was so simple and it's so true, and no one could read that and not relate to it. So that highlights the importance of the kind of skills that you're going to teach us. So let's get to that, the practical hard conversations framework, your mastering hard conversations process. There are six steps to it, Mark. We'd love it if you could talk us through it, and I'll interrupt you along the way with um, uneducated questions. That's good. Yeah, I love Curtin's work, and he's um, you know, he's, he only died about uh, eighteen months ago, but he spent a lifetime looking at how to manage conflict within groups. So he's, he's an inter- he interesting guy. He worked into guy. his into his well into his nineties doing this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and his daughter is now running his he's sort of running the show for him now. But she'd be post retirement age as well. Uh, well, she's pretty effective, I think. So. <laughs> okay, so the starting point, I guess, Dave, was that. When I was doing this work, and, and, and I've sort of taken work from lots of different people as, as I developed it, was that when you're trying to become good at having hard conversations, there's sort of two phases. There's two pieces to it. And when we're talking, we're, we're talking about situations where you know you're going to have a conversation, not the ones where someone charges up and starts yelling at you or screaming down the phone. But if you get good at this process that we'll walk through now, you start getting good at those sorts of situations as well. Because you're just doing it. Your neural pathways have developed and there's a couple of key things you know you've got to do and you'll do them under pressure even when you're not preparing. But when you do know you're going to have one, the first thing I think is you've got to learn to prepare really well. And so the first sort of process I'll talk to is about how do you prepare for one of these hard conversations? And the preparation is good. It's important. And if you can get good at it, it's going to help you a lot. But then you find yourself in the conversation. And that's really more about how do you execute and that's really about skills development stuff. And some of those skills are in the process, but it's it's really sort of, for me, there's two parts, which is prepare well and then execute well. And you've got to do the work to learn how to prepare well. And you've got to do the work to practice to execute well. So if I walk you through the process, the starting point in the process, as you said, it's it's six steps. And I've tried to sort of simplify this so that it's it's usable and practical. And in the book, sort of, it goes into lots of detail. But essentially, the first step, is to ask yourself, okay, what's going on for me here? As you're sort of trying to work through the chaos, saying, what's going on for me here? And I talk about that as self-reflection. Okay? And I'll come back and I'll, I'll flesh that out a little bit in a minute. Then once you've done that, the second step is to go, okay, I need to get into the head of the other person and I need to ask myself, what's going on for them? And you know, I talk about that as perspective taking. And often we don't do that well. And I'll give you a quick example because the other day, my wife and her boss were preparing to um, have a performance conversation with, with one of the people in their, their business. And they did a lot of really good preparation and they were very clear about what they were looking to do. But what they hadn't done was put themselves in the shoes of this younger um, employee and think, well, how is he going to respond to this stuff? How is he going to react? Because by not perspective taking, they were going to have a pretty ordinary conversation. He was going to shut down. He was going to go into fight flight and it wasn't going to be a particularly good conversation. 
But by putting themselves in his shoes, what they could then do was really think about, well, how do we get the messages that we want to get across? And really the essence of that was just be curious, ask him lots of good open questions, and then during the course of the conversation, you can start weaving in all these things that are very important for you to weave in. But by doing that and letting him get comfortable, letting him reflect, um, giving him a chance to share his views, it changed the whole tone and flavour of that conversation to one that was, by the sound of it, a very good performance conversation. So the second step's perspective taking. The third step, once you've done that, is to step back and go, okay, so with the benefit of thinking about what's going on for me, with the benefit of thinking about what's going on for them, what are the questions that I really need to ask here? going into this conversation? What are the things that I need to sort of explore further to gain either insight or validate assumptions? So that's the third step, asking really good open questions. The fourth step's then going, okay, where's the common ground? You know, what is it we both want? And as a mediator, and you know, I, I do sort of formal mediations, commercial mediations and workplace mediations as well. That's how you solve these clashes. That's how you find ways forward is by recognizing that there's common ground and there almost always is, almost always, and then working around the common ground to, to get people to move forward. The fifth step in this process is just basically thinking, okay, what's going to come at me? And it's anticipating objections. So what are they likely to say, to challenge me about, to demean me? Um, you know, What's likely to come at me in this conversation and how can I respond to that without losing my balance? People don't tend to do that or they don't do it very well. But for me, anticipating the objections is a really important part of preparing. And then once you've done that, the final part of this sort of process is just going, okay, so what are my goals? What are my goals in having this conversation? And what people often don't realize is you don't have to do it all at once. Think about, okay, especially in a workplace, you know, you'll have a chance to have more than one conversation. So maybe you ask yourself, the conversation I'm going to have with this person today, what is it? that I need to get out of it? What are my goals? And usually there are a couple of common goals. It's, it's, you know, it's that you want to understand them more clearly. You probably want them to understand your perspective more clearly, and you want to agree on some specific action as a result of the conversation. Now, if you can be clear about your goals, then you can say, okay, so what are my key messages? And there might be half a dozen key messages that you might want to say. So in a performance evaluation conversation or performance review, you know, one of the messages that you want to get is that I care about you. One of the messages is that I want you to continue to grow and develop in your career. Now, you might have a whole lot of other messages you want to get across is that, you know, your performance at the moment is not quite what we're looking for and we need to think about how we can get you to achieve your potential and those sorts of things. But there'll be other messages that are going to be important that you bring into the, to the game. So you've got to think about those messages up front. Now, this is not to try and create a script. I don't want people to be spending hours writing a script because the reality of hard conversations is you've got to be in the moment. But if you can just get half a dozen bullet points of key messages and a couple of really good open questions, you will be in much better shape than if you don't do that. So the preparation process allows you to get your thinking clear. It allows you to realize there are alternatives to what, what you might have initially thought. And it allows you to think of questions to explore and have a really rich, useful conversation. And the power of open questions is it shifts these conversations often from being hard and antagonistic and confrontational to just good discussions between two people. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. 
You know, your framework is so logical and rational. It's clever. It makes sense. It's easy to follow. And when I was going through it and I could see the way it plays out and I could see all the mistakes that I make in not doing these things as I'm planning or avoiding having a difficult conversation. But it's that number five, the anticipating objections, which really resonated for me because I've lost count of the number of times in my life where I've I've done the mental preparation, I think, for a difficult conversation. I've worked up the courage. I've found the right time. I've thought through what I want and what I need to say and how I can say it in a way that that is collaborating rather than creating an, a war, all of those things. But then the other person can just quickly, early in the conversation, say something that just throws me right off. And I think, well, that's well, I, we're not talking about what I thought we were going to talk about. There is a left field issue here that has thrown off what I thought was so clear, but now it seems murky to me because I, I'm not able to process it and think on my feet in that kind of highly emotional situation. So that anticipating objections to imagine what the other person might say so I can plan for it, consider it, um, wrap it up in my messaging and and the goals that I have, consider it fully and truly, but it means that I'm not missing that really important step and I'm much less likely to be knocked off balance during the conversation. Yeah, I think that's the thing is is it's easy to get in many situations to lose your balance because something comes from left field. And I think if you do this, if you use this preparation process, you can probably get to a level of about 85%. You know, you you, you would probably be able to predict 85% of the time what's going to come at you and then think about, well, how would I respond to that? And recognize that it's highly likely that they might make some critical comments, you know, in a performance situation and it doesn't matter. You just go, yeah, okay, that's likely to come. I will respond by leaning in and being curious and saying, okay, that's obviously not what I want to hear, but can you help me understand what's causing you to say that? What am I doing that's making you forming that view? And then some of the stuff they tell you might be valid and, and useful and some of it might be rubbish, but it's just not getting too defensive about stuff. And and I know that's easy to say and hard to do, but if you do the preparation, it becomes much easier to just go, yeah, okay, well, I was expecting that they're going to be critical or they're going to challenge me on this or that. And I'm leaning in and I'm going to explore where they're coming from because in their mind, they're being perfectly reasonable. So your challenge in a hard conversation is to try and understand why is it that they think so differently to me, but they think they're being reasonable. And when you get those insights and understanding, you sometimes shift or you can then be better able to help them shift and see differently. Let's have a look at these six steps. I'll remind you what they are. Number one is self-reflection. Number two is perspective taking. Then open questions, find common ground. Number five is anticipating objections. And number six is clarifying goals and messages. I'm trying to think of what would be a really common situation in a workplace. Let's go with this scenario. We've got a manager of a team is finding that one of the t- one of the members of the team is the performance has dropped. And it's a whole bunch of key things like turning up to meetings late, regularly, doing work that isn't quite of the quality that we need, regularly. It's costing other people time to fix it up and rework it. Not getting stuff done on time. Not contributing to meetings, for example. Maybe their behavior in this team's meeting world that we've carved out for ourselves means that they're sort of sitting on on teams, looking around, doing other stuff, clearly working on other things while you're trying to have a conversation with them. And when we look at this person, just overall, over time, their performance, their engagement with the team has dropped. 
Now, as as a leader, I've let myself off the hook a bunch of times. I know I needed to have a conversation with this person, but I've avoided it. It's reached crunch time. Lots of people in the team have noticed. I've noticed they're talking to me about it. I've got to have this conversation. So how would those six steps or, or that process and framework relevant at each of the point? I mean, when I start with self-reflecting what's going on for me, am I okay just to admit myself to myself, hey, it's frustrating when, I, when you're late for meetings and we can't start till you get there. It's frustrating when I'm talking on a meeting and I see you're doing other stuff. Is it okay for me just to be totally honest with myself in the preparation phase that I'm being, I feel very frustrated by this? Yeah. There's a framework that I use for self-reflection and perspective taking that was developed by a social psychologist called Sherrod Miller in the US. And it's a really it's simple, but it's a beautiful framework. And Miller say, basically says, let's just take self-reflecting because you're starting off and you're thinking, what am I going to do with this? You know, you're getting all these complaints from your team members and you're realizing that the performance of the individual is not where it needs to be. And, and you really have to have that conversation. So the sort of self-reflection piece is, okay, what's my sensory data? And, and so Miller says, to try and get clarity out of the chaos, you need to recognize that there are these sort of five parts to how you see the world. And he, he talks about it and says, the first part is, what's your sensory data? So what are you seeing? What are you hearing? And so there's a whole lot of stuff that you're getting from the team that's data, but also, you know, what you're observing in terms of the, the person's work performance and stuff like that. So you capture that because you want to bring it into the conversation. You want to be able to draw on the data as you're talking. So it's a useful exercise in itself. Then he says the second part of this, of Miller's sort of framework is this idea of understand that your thoughts, are, you know, are driven by sensory data, but your thoughts are the stories we tell ourselves. They're the stories uh, that are shaped by our past history experiences, values, our assumptions, our sense of identity, our biases, all of those things shape the way we think. So he's saying, well, what are you thinking? Ask yourself, what are you thinking and what what's driving that? The third piece is, is really your emotions. You know, how am I feeling? I'm feeling angry to your point. I'm feeling frustrated. And then I go back and I say, when I'm using this framework to flesh it out, I say, so what's, what's causing me to be frustrated? And the, I look for, well, what's the data that's driving that? And what am I thinking that's driving that? But it's really useful to start understanding, well, I'm frustrated because I need this team to perform. I'm frustrated that this person was going well and is no longer going well. I'm frustrated that I've tried talking to them, whatever the reasons are, but, but try and understand that because it's useful to share emotions in a sensible way when you're having a hard conversation. So when you and I have this conversation, I could say to you, listen, David, I need you to understand I'm just feeling a little bit frustrated with how the team's going and I'm a bit frustrated with what I'm seeing from you and I'd really like to understand what's going on. But people don't tend to want other people to be frustrated or feel frustrated. You know, if, you, if you're a leader and you've developed reasonable working relationships, if that's how you're feeling, it's often useful to help them understand this is how I'm feeling. So he talks about feelings, but then he, perhaps the most important part of this guy's framework is this idea of when you're thinking about what's going on for you, what do you want? What do I want? What is motivating me? And I like to think about this stuff as what do you want for the system? So what do you want personally is easy, okay? I like to start with what do you want for the organization? What do you want for the team? Then what do you want personally? Sure, you've got to think about your own sort of perspective. What do you want not from the other person because that's what you want, really, you want it, but what do you want for the other person? Now, if you're a leader, you usually want good outcomes for them. You want them to enjoy being in the team. You want them to perform to their best. You want them to grow and, and develop in their careers. And it's important to think this stuff through because one of your key messages may well be what you want for them. 
rather than simply telling them what you want from them, I want you to lift your game, I want you to stop doing this, I want you to start doing this. But if you say to them, what I want for you is for you to continue to grow and develop and have a great career at this organisation or wherever else you choose to go. But what I'm seeing is this, go back to your sensory data, and what I'm concerned about, another emotion, what I'm concerned about is that this is going to compromise the team's performance and it's not going to be good for your reputation. So what I'd need you to do is X, Y, or Z. So if you can sort of use, and, and the last part of Miller's framework is think about actions. What have you done historically that's contributed to this situation? This is when we're self-reflecting. You know, what role have I played here? Well, maybe it's what I haven't done. I haven't yeah, actually- I haven't spoken had, to this guy about it. I haven't raised the situation, haven't raised the issues, haven't raised any concerns before, and I've let him go for three months before I've said something or her. So, you know, you think about actions in what have I done historically? What am I doing now? Is that helping or is it hurting? Or what do I do in the future? And that's where you start thinking about your options. And as you go through this process, you start getting a whole lot of options and it's a useful starting point. So that's the self-reflection piece to get clarity around what's going on for me. Now, the second step's doing the same exercise, using the same framework where you're saying, okay, what's the data? But you're trying to step into the other person's shoes. And this is perspective taking, right? So I'm step, all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, where's David at with this stuff? You know, what's his data? And what you'll discover really quickly as you do this is you're guessing, you're making assumptions. It's much harder to do it for somebody else, even if you know them well. So I'm thinking, okay, what's David thinking? How's David feeling? What's happened that's causing that? What does he want? What's he done or not done? Now, often I'll realize really quickly when I do this, and my clients do, is well, they don't know. And so, so that takes us to the third step in the process, which is this idea of, okay, well, what are the questions we need to ask? to explore this more clearly so that we can have a better productive conversation. And, you know, it, it, you'll then realise, well, I don't know how they're feeling or I don't know how they're enjoying the job or I don't know what's driving their performance. So you might ask them open questions to say, you know, look, I'm really curious because, you know, in the last six months, what I saw was really some really high-performing stuff from you. But more recently, it seems like it's dropped off a little bit and I'm just really curious to understand, you know, what's going on for you. And is that how you'd start? So, th- so even in my lame little example, which I think is probably a very common situation, I can see the process playing out, and and my reflection, the the looking for data, taking their perspective, and realizing that I'm going to come up short because I really don't know what's going on in their life. So that sends me to the next phase, which is the open questions. How would you structure this conversation, Mark? In exactly the situation we've been talking about, I'm a formerly decent performer who's been sliding very visibly over the last few months to the point where it's got the team offside. How do you start that conversation, Mark? Is it kid gloves and warm into it? Or do you sit down and say, okay, David, we're having a conversation because we've noticed a drop off in your performance, but we want to understand it from your point of view. We want to work with you to make it right. We want to see what we can do. Do you sort of get to it directly so David is under no illusions as to why we're having this conversation but tell me you're going to support me through it which what sort of approach do you take there yeah and it's very specific to the situation and so sometimes if the context is it's a team context then I will want to explore what's going on I want to I always start off by trying to understand how they're enjoying the job what's going well what's going problematic for them give them time to help me understand how they're seeing the world because I don't want them to close down. I don't want them to go into fight flight early. And often what happens if, if you go in too hard too early, what you get is they close down because that it's very uncomfortable getting negative feedback. It challenges somebody's sense of themselves, their sense of identity. And so what you will get instead of a, a good rich conversation is you'll get somebody who's just gone into fight flight. 
So for me, it's I don't want to avoid bringing in, if it's really about performance, I don't want to avoid bringing it in, but I sort of think that there's ways to explore how is somebody going before you start criticising them. So I don't think I would say we've noticed a big drop-off of your performance as the first thing I said in the meeting. What I would do is, is basically say to them, how are you going? What are you enjoying with the work? What are you finding challenging? How are you finding the team? You know, Are you getting the support you need from me? I'd set it up, give them a chance to help me see the world through their eyes, and then I'd listen. You know, We talk about listening skills if we, get, if we have the time, but one of the critical skills for being good at hard conversations is you become a very, very good listener. And so I would listen to what they're saying, and I, I would then go with the flow, and I'd probably ask some questions to gain deeper insight and understanding. And there would come a point in this conversation where I would feel, and they would feel importantly, that I have a pretty good handle on how they see the world. Now, I might not agree with how they see the world. And in the course of the conversation, I might say to them, look, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I'm really interested in understanding why you see it that way or how you see it that way. Because I I don't want them to be thinking that I'm agreeing with them when I'm not, but I also don't want them to stop sharing Sharing. their perspective. Mm. Yeah. And then at some point, they will say, yeah, and they'll stop and, and they will basically feel heard feel listened to, and they'll be far more willing then to take the feedback that I might want to bring to the conversation. Because then I might say to them, look, you know, that's really interesting that that's how you see it, and it's really interesting for me to understand some of the challenges and issues you've been having or you're having with the team or, as you see, as you see it. But, you know, are you okay with me giving you some feedback? And usually at this point I've just been listening, and so they're going to go, yeah, sure. And then I'll say, okay, you know, what I've noticed over the past six months is that there has been a marked drop in the quality of your work. And I'll give you some examples. So then I have to go back to the sensory data. And I will, I will have, as part of my preparation, some very specific, easy to understand examples that will allow them to see why it is that I see it that way. They still might not agree, but I give them the examples. And then I'll ask them an open question about that. And, or I might want to give them some, some feedback on the specific things I want them to do differently. And I'll then say to them, you know, how do you feel about that? They'll give me what they have to say and and I'll say to them, okay, well, you know, what might make it easy for us to move forward in a constructive way? And, you know, you're inviting them back into the conversation, you know, and, you know, what do you see as the biggest challenges for doing it the way I'd like you to do it? And you just have a conversation and all of a sudden these hard conversations become not easy but less hard and, you know, you're trying to work collaboratively with somebody to get to common ends that, that you both want and that's where, you know, being clear about the common ground is, they will always want to continue to grow and develop usually. They will almost always want to do the right thing by the team. They will want to do the right thing by the organisation usually and sometimes that gets lost in the chaos of human relationships and part of your job as a leader is to, to help them think, you know, step back and think about, okay, well, what do we all both really want here and how might we find our way forward? That was a masterclass in itself, Mark. And you started by saying to, you know, to my example of going in hard and making it clear while we're here is all you'll get there is the fight or flight response. And that's a, a great answer to that. And, and that's why it's important to talk through it the way that you just described. All right. So that's the process. That's the framework, self-reflection, perspective taking, open questions, common ground, anticipating objections and clarifying goals and messages. And you have the six core skills that work together with that. Now, 
we're running out of time, so I, I'd love the cliff notes on those. If you could just tell us what each of those six are and, and give us a brief description, because I think they're pretty self-explanatory anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's not rocket science in, in the skills. It's just that they're often not being demonstrated. So the first one is the whole idea of becoming better at self-reflecting. And so the frameworks that we've just sort of walked through helps you do that. The second one is becoming better at perspective taking. And that's probably the most valuable skill a leader can get. Leaders that are good at perspective taking are always fabulous leaders. The third one is this idea of, particularly in hard conversations, becoming better at staying calm. And a lot of that's about, you know, doing mindfulness stuff, learning how to just be conscious of your breath, breathing, be more conscious of your emotional levels when they're rising. And that, that's a practice exercise, but, but being, being clear about, Part of getting good at hard conversations is becoming better at staying calm. You look at elite athletes, they're very good at it. Elite performers, they're very good at it. For some of them, they're just naturally good at it, probably about 5%. The rest of them have worked really hard to become good under pressure. And it's the same for all of us as leaders and managers is we have to practice. And there are ways to do that. So that's the third one. The fourth one is this idea of becoming a really good listener. You know, People talk about active listening, attentive listening. The essence of it is you're not listening to hear what they're saying. You're not listening to bounce back your ideas and tell them why they're wrong. You're listening with rich, deep curiosity to gain an understanding of what it is they're saying, why they're saying it, and how they've gotten to the point where they think that's reasonable. And so listening skills become critical and fabulous leaders. You will think about the best leaders you know. They're really good listeners. Then the, la- the, se- the the fifth one is this idea of becoming very good at asking open questions because open questions can change the tone of conversations. They can really open up the door for a rich conversation as opposed to a confrontational conversation. But people tend to naturally go into closed questions, which is you know, an open question is, is what's the weather like today? A closed question is, is it raining? And so, you know, becoming good at open questions is really a critical skill. And the last one is this idea of, learning how to speak with clarity, learning how you can communicate so they understand what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're wanting, what's the information you're relying on. So the whole idea of using that framework that we use for self-reflection and perspective taking as a means of making sure that you're communicating with real clarity so that the person you're trying to work with understands what you're trying to say and do. Those six again, uh, self-reflection, perspective taking, staying calm, listening under pressure, asking open-ended questions and speaking with clarity. And as we said at the beginning, Mark, they're, they're so logical, they're, they're fantastic partner skills to the framework that you painted so clearly for us. And you know, that speaking with clarity is is one that grabbed my attention because it can be really difficult under pressure to speak with clarity. We as human beings tend to waffle on a little bit when we're nervous And if you're feeling nervous having this conversation, then it's really important that you check that you're speaking with clarity rather than waffling on and just sort of getting in your own way and adding a new layer of complication to the conversation that it just doesn't need. All right, Mark, you've done a great job of talking to us about these things tonight, of explaining your framework and those core skills. But for those who are listening and they've bought into what you said What's some last advice that you can give us? We know we should be better at it. We know we need to be a bit more courageous and a bit better planned and step up to it. What's that lasting one bit of advice that you can give us for stepping into this space? I think the idea is to respond rather than react. And that might be a two-second difference. And the key for that is to just breathe. 
so that you give yourself that time to respond rather than reacting to what something's said, someone's done that's triggering you. And I think the second thing I would say is just be curious. Recognize that these people who you're talking to in these situations, as I said earlier in the, the, the session here, they think they're being reasonable. So your challenge is be curious to try and understand how is it that they think the way they think and how is it that they think they are being eminently reasonable. Wonderful advice, Mark. Look, I've really enjoyed our conversation. You're an absolute guru in this space. Thank you so much for coming on the Team Guru podcast. Thanks for having me again, David. I really appreciate your interest and I hope um, your listeners get something out of it. And that was Mark Rosenberg. It's so true what he says. So many of us avoid hard conversations because they're risky. We're worried about the high level of emotion. But that process, Mark's framework for mastering hard conversations, gives us all a solid platform to stand on. It'll give us the confidence to step into that space and have the conversations we need to have. And that process is, number one, self-reflection. What's going on for you in the conflict? Number two, perspective taking. How was the other person seeing the situation? Number three, open questions. What would you like to understand? Number four, common ground. What do you have in common? Number five is anticipating objections. What tough questions and objections do you need to be prepared for? And number six, clarifying goals and messages. What are your key goals and messages? And those final two tips, respond rather than react and just be curious. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Mark on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.